0: Thank you. Shout it out if you know who this is. Birds, right? Yes, the the birds. Uh, well, kind of the birds. Really, they only should get limited credit because, frankly, they ripped off every line from that song from Ecclesiastes chapter three. Actually, so I don't know what Solomon would say about wanting royalties on that. Um, if you know Solomon, he was doing just fine financially, so he probably didn't care. Um. <laughs> Well, that's what we're going to look at. This, uh, actually, that exact passage, uh, which speaks to this topic of time, uh, as we've been uh, looking through the book of Ecclesiastes over the last several weeks. And so, uh, again, as uh, Lori's already welcomed you, if you're a guest with us today, uh, my, my name is Brian. I've had the privilege of being one of the pastors here and bringing you today's message. And, um, and so, as you turn to the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, the way in which we've been looking at this series is uh, under this umbrella or this topic uh, we've entitled Meaningless. Uh, with this understanding that comes out of the book of Ecclesiastes that in the end, everything that exists under the sun will exist no more. And so in a sense, it is meaningless. It is all, the Hebrew word there is hebel, uh, the original word which uh, is translated here meaningless throughout that book uh, over 30 times. Uh, But literally, the word means uh, a vapor or a wisp of air. Uh, with this understanding that everything under the sun is going to be here and gone in an instant. It's here today, gone tomorrow. And so what happens is, as we read Ecclesiastes, as you read it, you feel like the whole book, like 99% of the book is on how uh, everything in life is meaningless. Uh, However, there is that 1% of the book that does finally get to uh, the meaning of life, of what the actual purpose of our life is. And then that 1%, you could say, sheds light on the other 99% and not making it so meaningless, bringing some meaning to it. In fact, as, we, uh, as you can see, the, uh, the, the imagery of this title has that less kind of floating away, that wisp of air. But its original um, kind of Thought behind the uh, the title, we actually had the less, and you actually, if you see it in print, like online or something, you'll see that it says meaning, and then the less is actually in brackets, uh, with this idea that the less is really optional. It's up to you as to whether or not you will live a life of either meaning, or if you'll opt for meaninglessness, as uh, has been revealed um, and will be revealed as we continue to look at this book of Ecclesiastes. And so today, when it comes to the topic of time, arguably. There's no other determination as to how much meaning or meaninglessness we have in our lives than how you could say we expend the time that is given to us. It's the only non-renewable resource that we have. We can't get more of it. We only have what's been given to us. And so how we expend it will determine whether or not we are doing that with meaning or with meaninglessness. And actually scripture speaks to this outside of Ecclesiastes in several areas. Uh, For example, Psalm 90.12 says us specifically to teach us to number our days, to number our days, uh, to recognize that the number of days we have is limited, and that in those days, we may gain a heart of wisdom, that in the days that we have, we would seek the wisdom of the Lord in the way in which we approach the days that we have here on this earth. Ephesians 5 uh, says it this way, be very careful be very careful, then, how you live. Give attention and intention as to how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, and thus making the most of every opportunity. And so uh, those are a couple passages outside of Ecclesiastes, um, but we're going to go ahead and jump into Ecclesiastes uh, this morning um, to uh, look at this topic of what does it have to say about our time. Uh, so we're going to dive right into arguably one of the most Famous passages in all of the Bible. It's definitely the most popular in Ecclesiastes, in that whether secular context or Christian context, love to quote this particular chapter, chapter three, um, and I can most easily point to that song we just heard by the birds, uh, Turn, 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 that classic folk rock song, which is actually, um, I learned uh, originally entitled, To Everything, There Is a Season. And so that's where we're going to look at the seasons of our life and the things that we face uh, here in our lives as. Uh, It's laid out in chapter 3, starting in verse 1 of Ecclesiastes. So it says this. It says, There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. And so after that, what we're going to see here is everything that happens under the sun, if you will, to steal from other parts of Ecclesiastes, uh, it's going to paint everything that we see in the shared human experience that we see in our lifetime. Verse 2. First, There's a time to be born and a time to die, meaning that there's this time span that we have, this every other season is going to fall within obviously this season between birth and death. And so some of those include uh, a time to plant, a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build. And so while this is not saying you should necessarily go do all these things, um, it's not suggesting you go murder, we recognize that these things do happen in our human experience, that there are, in this case of these few verses, there are beginnings and there are endings that we all see within the cycle of life. Verse four, also within life there is a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. And so this speaks to the the rhythms and the responses that we have to life and the full scale of emotions that we uh, respond to when it comes to the life um, that we experience. Verse 5 says there's a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing and so this verse talks about the nature of human relationships, whether an enmity or friendship, friends and enemies that we face. And uh, the metaphor here, you might be thinking, boy, I'm not, I got a lot of things to do. I'm not carving out time to throw stones on the ground and pick them up. I really don't get that. Uh, well, that actually comes from the original time frame, the context in which this would have been written, was a time where uh, to kind of get back at your enemies, um, people would actually spread stones all across their property, their land, in order to make their, um, their land unproductive, unfruitful. And so then the verse goes on to say, but then gathering those stones up uh, speaks to the idea of forgiveness that can come within those uh, relationships as well. Verse six says that in our lives, there's a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend. And so this virtually speaks to the resources that we have in our life, this idea that there's a time to keep and a time to throw away is this understanding of uh, what we all face and that in what you could say was today's couldn't live without ultimately becomes tomorrow's garage sale item, that there's a cycle to the things that we have in our lives. Uh, and then lastly, for us, there's a time to speak, excuse me, there's a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love, a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. And so this really just speaking to the relational realities that we all have faced and face in our lives, um, for better or for worse. Um, On an interpersonal level, we recognize there's times to be silent and there's times to speak. Uh, That part of a human experience is love and hate. Uh, And then on a national level, uh, recognizes, particularly on this Memorial Day weekend, that there are times of war and there are times of peace. And so really, as we look at all these, what it's trying to encapsulate is just a capturing of all, uh, you could say, again, the categories of life's experience that exists between those two poles of both birth and death that we see in verse chapter, uh, excuse me, in verse two. And so With all these experiences that we face in our life, with all these uh, emotions, the range of opportunities and responsibilities that are for us, uh, again, all between the time we are born and die, the question that we must ask and then answer is, how are we doing with that time? How are we being intentional with time? How are we making Ephesians 5, that verse we looked at a little bit ago, uh, a reality in our lives? How are we being careful? How are we being very careful and attentive to how we live our lives? How are we uh, making sure we live them as wise, not unwise, and making the most of every one of those opportunities of the days that God has given us here on the earth? And so in order to help us um, give some attention to that both here this morning and in the future. I want to give you a framework uh, that we use here actually uh, in leadership settings here at church and some of us use it in our pers- or, excuse me personally in our own lives. And um, so if you're a note taker, you might want to write this down. If you're not a note taker, you might want to write this down because it will actually, we'll refer back to it several times and I've learned that I get kind of geeky on this stuff and it leaves people behind. So it actually will help to write this out and if you don't want to write you can do it on your phone or I trust you not to go on Facebook I think um, if that's what you want to use. But um, but here's this understanding that uh, really everything we do under the sun whether philosophical, theoretical, kind of a paradigm of how we approach life, all the way down to the practical, the things we actually functionally, tangibly do in life, that everything can fit within one of these categories or what we call horizons, Uh, that these are the horizons of our life that we all face and that we all have, whether we intentionally pay attention to them or not, they're all there. And so... We call them the horizons of life, and these are all the horizons that exist under the sun, if you will, that can sum up and be a part of our lives. And it actually comes from uh, David Allen's work. It's borrowed and adapted from that, if you're familiar with him at all. Um, And so here are the focuses. Here are the horizons that we give attention to, intentionally or unintentionally, under the sun. At the first level, at the highest level under the sun, we have what we call the 40,000-foot perspective or the 40,000-foot view, which is really the roles that we have in our lives. And so this is all relative to the different contexts that you have. Uh, so maybe for you, one of the roles for you is, is a parent or maybe that of a spouse or a son or a daughter, a friend, a boss, uh, a staff member of such and such employee, um, You know, a neighbor, a student, and these kinds of ideas. And so these are the different roles that we have in our lives. And then also in this category, you could say there's also these personal development roles that we have that we want to give attention to categorically in our lives, things... Uh, to, to really steal from Stephen Covey's sharpening the saw idea, if you're familiar with that. that we want to give attention to our physical health side of our lives and to the relational aspect of our lives and to the mental side, of how are we developing and, and sharpen ourselves mentally, uh, emotionally is one we could add to that. And then, of course here in this context, we're gonna talk about the spiritual side. How are we giving attention to the spiritual category of our lives and so these are all the different roles and categories you could say we have in our lives that everything else falls under and so coming down a level underneath the different roles we have we say there's the 30,000 foot view which would be our vision for our life or maybe a vision for those different spots of life those different roles that we have for example maybe you have a vision for your career that you wanted to be at a certain place three years from now Or maybe for your family, you have a vision of what you want your family to become and what you want them to look like in the years ahead. And then from there, uh, you could drop down to the 20,000 foot perspective, which we would call our goals, that we have some goals, some measurable goals that can help achieve that bigger vision that we have. And so maybe these are some things you're trying to do, you know, New Year's resolution type stuff over the next 12 months or less, you want to accomplish these goals that make that bigger vision happen. And then even within those goals, that's still a big elephant to take a bite out of. So we break that down into what we'd say might be various projects uh, that uh, we have to help make happen those goals. And then even when it comes to the projects that we have in our lives, you don't actually do a project, but you can only do certain actions related to that project. And so at the lowest level, we have what we call the runway, the ground level, the actual to-do items that we face in our lives um, that accomplish the projects that fulfill the goals for the greater vision of each role that we have under the sun. And so I often get that look that you're looking at me with when I explain this. And so to help make this a little bit more practical, let me give you an example of how this plays out together, again, rather consciously or unconsciously in every area of our lives. For example, say at the 40,000 foot roll level, you have that health and physical side, the physical health side, and say, you know what? I have this vision for my physical health that I would like to have more energy in my life. I wanna have more energy. And so you say you set this goal that you're gonna work out or have some sort of exercise plan uh, for the next 12 weeks and you're gonna exercise two days a week for the next 12 weeks, that's your goal. Uh, And then to do that, you have this project now to figure out, okay, what in the world am I gonna do? And so you gotta go figure out how you're gonna do that for the next 12 weeks. And so uh, from there, that project might, at the to-do level, might mean the next step is to Google gyms indicator, And then you Google them, and then you get the phone number. So your next step is to maybe call the such-and-such gym and find out how much it costs to have a membership. And then from there, you go and visit such-and-such gym for a tour, make a decision. Uh, or, or maybe for us here, um, you discover, uh, like you're about to right now, that First Christian actually has a ministry called Fitness at First, that's every Tuesday and Thursday morning. Um, And so now your next action is, okay, I'm gonna call the church office and uh, figure out some more about that. And then on Tuesday, I'm gonna go and show up and go to Fitness at First. And uh, so that's my shameless plug for one of the ministries of the church. Um, That's how you do that. so again, this uh, is something we all do Uh, particularly at the lower levels. We all have to-do lists and projects we're trying to make happen and things we're trying to accomplish. And so these are all things, whether with great intention or with just maybe unconsciously, we all do in our lives naturally. So this is to use Solomon's language. This is nothing new under the sun. This is just something we already all do, but we're just kind of given a framework to help be a little bit more intentional because we we've got to do this stuff, whether we are, you know, you could say running a country or caring for a cat to every one of those levels. These things do play into it. And so, the question then if, you know, this is all great and fine, you might think, but in all honesty, before we go any further, the only thing that has been pointed out from Ecclesiastes, um, as nice as this all is, is frankly, how meaningless this, excuse me, how meaningless everything under the sun is. In fact, Solomon. When it came to all these things that he did, he says, based on, again, that first couple verses in the book, he says, everything under the sun is meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless, everything is meaningless. And so why bother with all these to-dos and goals and all these different things? Well, let me remind you, um, if you haven't been with us, that, again, while 99% of the book of Ecclesiastes reveals, you could say just how meaninglessness that's so hard to say, I'm going to stop saying it, how meaningless everything is that exists under the sun, particularly when it's the end in and of itself, Solomon concludes the matter in chapter 12 and 13, excuse me, chapter 12, 13, and 14 with that 1%. The 1% of what Ecclesiastes is all about and that meaning there. And so this is what Solomon says. He says, now that all has been heard. And but what he means by all that has been heard, uh, if you're unfamiliar with Ecclesiastes, the whole first 12 chapters is talking about how literally Solomon had tried it all. We see it in Ecclesiastes, it's also recorded on the historical front in Kings and Chronicles, that Solomon, unlike any other person in history before or after, tried it all under the sun. He had every role, vision, project, goal, action that you could possibly imagine because he was personally given by God more knowledge, wisdom, and discernment than any other. He had great wealth and possessions, and he pursued every earthly pleasure that you could imagine. And frankly, there's, when you think about it, there's really nowhere else to go up the corporate ladder than king of a nation. You've pretty much arrived. And so after all this, after the, this, the conclusion on the matter, he says, even though I've done everything that exists under the sun, he says, when it's the end in and of itself, it's meaningless. And so, back to the meaning then. Now that all of this has been heard, now that I've done it all, here's the conclusion of the matter. The 1%. Fear God. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. So just unpacking this 1% a little bit. First off, fear God. What that literally means is to be in utter awe, to be in utter surrender of his power and his sovereignty, really summed up worship. That you exist to worship God. And this is how he says it, that, we, that this is the end, this is why we are here. And the way we do that, the way we worship God, is it says, by keeping God his commands, by keeping his commands, which means following his ways, following his way that he is the Lord of our lives. We're going to follow the way that he leads us in our lives. And again, for this is the duty of all mankind. Or in other words, this is the meaning of life. This is why you are on the planet to worship God in everything you do. And so here's, here's where it all gets connected. Here's the big idea, the linchpin, if you will, that connects the 1% to the 99% that would otherwise be meaningless. That uh, Solomon is saying, if that, as high as you ever get, as great as these roles are, as the 40,000 foot level, you know, it's great to be a parent or married or in a job or whatever roles that you have, as great as that is, if that's the greatest and the highest level you ever reach, in the long run, it is dust, it is a vapor, it is meaningless, it will cease to exist. But if you can, take your eyes um, above the horizons, if you will. If you can take it from away just of the horizontal, uh, as we've said here over the last couple of weeks, and you lift your eyes beyond the sun, beyond the horizons that we have here on this planet, and take it to, instead of a horizontal view, but actually a vertical view. That if you can give all of life a vertical view with a look at God as the overarching umbrella over everything, well, then we can find meaning as we worship God at the highest level, which we'll call the 50,000 foot level, that we'll worship God. We can worship God with the lower horizons. And then all of a sudden that 1% at the top makes sense and gives us a tethering of the other 99% and a reason for why we do all of those things. And uh, actually, it's funny, when I was, we, I was originally making this, the sun, I learned, is actually 500 billion feet away. Um, that totally messed up my deal there, so we just went with 50,000 for the sake of the illustration. Um, but really, that's how it works. That so this No matter who we are at the 40,000 foot roll level, and everything we do at the runway is to be under that 50,000 foot meaning that we wanna see everything we are and do everything we do in light of Ecclesiastes twelve three and 4, that we are going to do this in worship of God under him, keeping his ways, and that this is the duty of our lives. And so what I want to move into as uh, we kind of move to the application side of our, of our time is just give you some real practical ways in which you can be intentional with your time. That you can be intentional and live wisely, as it says in Ephesians, uh, in worshiping God with the number of days, Psalm ninety twelve, the number of days that you have been given. And so, the first way in which you can do this is by being, first off, just intentional with that fifty thousand foot perspective to give actually some time that you have to what we could call spiritual practices. Giving time to spiritual practices that focus on that 50,000 foot view that then help us more naturally uh, bleed into the rest of our lives. And so on a corporate church level, um, we say that we exist to do the 50,000 foot thing. We exist to become devoted followers of Jesus Christ, to worship him in everything we do by, we say, growing and serving together. And so are you growing together with other Christians, building relationships with other Christians in your church that really build up that ultimate relationship, that vertical relationship with God through our small groups? Um, Are you serving together alongside other Christians using the gifts and the talents God has given you for his kingdom work here on earth through the ministries that he's called us to do? So those are kind of the more corporate um, community level ones. That might be a good next step for you. And so there's a way to do that on the web. It says connect if you go to firstdicator.org. And also as you leave, uh, there's a wall out there that has all our grow together and serve together groups that you could find out more about or just call us at the church. we would be glad to help get you plugged into that. So that's the corporate side. But then there's also uh, the more private side, you could say, uh, of are you on your own time getting into uh god's word his fifty thousand foot perspective on everything we do do you have some sort of reading plan or way you can regularly get into god's word and then lastly are you praying uh, are you taking advantage of what for some reason feels like some guilt thing that we don't do enough of uh, if you ever want to make people feel guilty at church just talk about prayer i've learned that uh, it makes me feel guilty too uh, but prayer is not something that we have to do uh, but really it's something we get to do. It's a gift, a privilege that at the runway level, it's a to-do thing we can do that connects us directly to that 50,000 foot reality of who God is. And so take advantage of that and pray and trust this Holy Spirit to work in you in that way. Okay, so first you can give some attention to that 50,000 foot view and perspective by engaging in some of these spiritual practices that might not be in your life right now. Secondly, um, I would encourage you to be proactive Uh, in actually using this framework, these six horizons of perspective when it comes to how you use your time. And so I'd encourage you to maybe take some time proactively and carve out maybe some time and space where you can examine your own life. Maybe write out these different horizons and start to plug in, okay, what are my roles and what do I want to see happen? And maybe some goals and some things I want to see uh, happen so that I can steward well and be intentional and give attention to Psalm ninety twelve. That I might, uh, with the days I've been given, pursue them wisely. For me, this is something I do uh, at least every few months or whenever I'm feeling frustrated with something in life that doesn't seem to be adding up. And so, um, you know, one of the dorky things I'll do is I'll uh, sit down and kind of journal this out. And so that's a page out of my journal here. Uh, it was actually Easter weekend here this past April. And uh, I know my friends look, they're like, oh, geez, Brian, you and your journals, crying out loud. It's like, go outside and throw a football or something. It's like. Maybe I make that one of my twenty thousand foot goals this summer or something. So anyway, but you can see there on the left, um, you know, all the different horizons, and I've got there like, okay, what's my job description? And I'm a dad and a father, or a dad and a um, and a husband, and I got the you know spiritual. Life. So I got these things. Not that I want you to read all my inner thoughts or anything, but I'm giving attention and uh, intention to some of these things that I want to do uh, as I work my way down into actually how I live out my days, because I want to do the best I can with the days that God has given me, because. In the end, again, whether you use this framework or not, it really isn't the point. But in the end, we are responsible to steward the time we have been given, these seasons of life, well. Because it's a gift that God has given us that we want to do the best we can with. Because in the end, that's what he's going to check in with us. When we reach that judgment day, it says in verse 14, that God will bring every deed that we did, every to-do we did into judgment, for better or for worse, including every hidden thing. Uh, whether it is good or evil, so that even the hidden things are kind of the, the, the behind-the-scenes stuff, those higher horizons as to what roles do we give ourselves to and what motives do we have and what we did. And so that's what we're going to have to give attention to, that you could sum up, when we meet our maker, you could pretty much say there's two questions we're all going to be responsible for. One, what did you do with my cross? What did you do with my cross, Jesus will ask that. um, Did you receive me as savior? That I died for the forgiveness of your sin. Did you first receive me as your savior who forgives you of your sin? So that you can have a relationship with me both in that life and now for all of eternity? And then secondly, um, did you make me the Lord? That's the language we use when we receive Jesus Christ into our lives. Do we make him savior? Forgive our lives, and we make him the Lord, the one whom we trust to lead our very lives. Because if we don't make him the Lord of the functional living of our lives, if we don't bring him into those lower horizons, then really, if we just say, oh, I believe in God, I believe in Jesus, well, then it's just an abstraction. It's not real unless at the lower levels of life we are actually functionally doing the things that follow Jesus and telling him, or excuse me, doing the things that he tells us to do. And so the question is, is Jesus the functional Lord the functional leader of your life's roles and areas, whether at work or play or family, health, finances, good times and bad. And so I would encourage you, be proactive in thinking through these things and prayerfully reflecting on your own life as to how you want God to be at the 50,000 foot perspective into all those other perspectives of your life. And thirdly and finally, 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 Actively, finally, reactively. Okay, reactively live at the 50,000-foot perspective in that um, you can be intentional, you can sit down with this stuff and and really think through it, Uh, but sometimes the best way to understand the 50,000-foot perspective is that when life comes at you and you're trying to make sense of it, how do you respond or react with that 50,000-foot reality? For example... Um, if you were with us last week, we talked about vocation in our job, and uh, maybe you're in a role at that 40,000-foot view uh, of a job that you just feel like a total dead end, uh, or maybe that 50,000-foot view is um, that job, maybe it's your dream job. Regardless, we are reminded that whatever we are doing, whether retired or stay at home or unemployed or work or don't work or love what we do or hate what we do, at the 50,000-foot view, wherever we find ourselves, Jesus says, we are in that context to be salt and light, that we are the salt of the earth, we were to the, be the, the flavor of Christ, when people get a taste of us, they get a taste of Jesus, and we are to be the light of the world, that we are to represent him well, wherever we are, again, regardless of what our vocation was. That's the, the bigger view on whatever role that you have vocationally. From there, um, maybe, in the, maybe you have a role today where you're a married person, you're a husband, or you're a wife. And... Uh, you know, drilling down a little deeper, maybe it's uh, a tough season for you in your marriage. Um, Everything feels lose-lose and you can't get anywhere, and um, even if if marriage is good for you right now, the truth is, and and we know this, that one of the hardest things you will ever do this side of the grave is love someone until death do you part. It's one of the hardest things, no matter how good or bad, that we will ever do. And so, to help us in that, God's word gives us a 50,000 foot perspective on how to do that better. It says in Ephesians 5, the Apostle Paul says, Wives, respect your husbands. Respect your husbands when they are awesome. And if they are not so awesome, don't worry about it. No, it doesn't say that. (laughs) It says, people are like, where's that verse? (laughs) It actually says, wives, respect your husbands, 40,000 foot view, as unto the Lord. 50,000 foot reality. And so it's really something we do onto the Lord, not necessarily um, onto one another. And then, husbands and the like, love your wives, but only as long as they're respectful. No, it doesn't say that either. It says to love your wives, to do that 40,000 foot responsibility, to love your wives regardless, because just as Christ loved the church. And how did he love the church? Well, he gave himself up for her. He sacrificed even the face of us being the church, messing up all the time. And so it's a 50,000-foot view of sacrifice. So a bigger perspective on the roles that we have in married life. Now, in fairness to the other people in the room, if you're single here in the room today, and you know as the saying goes, maybe you're single for a reason or single for a season. Uh, maybe you want to be, maybe you don't want to be, regardless if that's where you are today. Paul in 1 Corinthians speaks to, uh, he was a single guy, um, speaking to a unique opportunity that you have as a single person in the life of a church, Uh, that God actually wants to bless you in unique ways in the life of the church, that uh, Paul says why all us married people are having to worry about taking care of our wives and husbands and kids and all this stuff, not that that's bad, um, that you as a single person are uniquely freed up to invest uniquely in relationships and community in the life of your church and to give yourself to ministries and and things that that otherwise maybe others couldn't do and so take advantage of that opportunity that God gives you again. If you're a 40,000 foot single person, you have a 50,000 foot opportunity to use that uh, in unique ways in relationship and community of the church. Maybe for you, you're, you're just worried about the stuff and the resources of life. Maybe uh, things aren't adding up for you. Jesus says this, don't worry. Do not worry saying what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear. He says, for the pagans run after all these things. And by pagans, he means essentially those who are only living up to the 40,000 foot level. They do not have the godly 50,000 foot perspective in their lives. So the pagans run after all these things, but your heavenly father knows that you need them and so seek first the 50,000-foot perspective. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and then all these things will be given to you. All the stuff below that horizon, he'll take care of you as well. Maybe for you today, um, you're like, you know what? That's all great and grand, all those different things. Visions and goals and all that garbage, but um, I can't get past my to-do list. Like the runway, I'm just flattened on that runway level. There's just so much to do, I can't even begin to think about why or what I'm doing. I just got to get done what I got before me that I haven't got done yet. Well, if that's you today, if you're just pressed down and run over on the runway of life, um, actually, as we, we sang this earlier, Psalm 121, we lift up our eyes from the ground level, even if we're buried it says I lift up my eyes to the mountains where does my help come from it comes from even above the mountains it says my help comes from the Lord that fifty thousand foot view above the mountains above the sun because my help comes from the Lord the maker of heaven and earth or Philippians four encourages you don't be anxious uh, don't be anxious about anything but in Every situation, instead of being anxious and worried, turn that into prayer and petition. That word petition just means a request. Just ask God and ask him with thanksgiving, thanking him for the life he's given you and present those requests to God and trust his promise that the peace of God, which transcends all our earthly understanding, will then guard your hearts and guard your minds as others have been robbed by anxiety in Christ Jesus. And then one more. Christ Jesus himself. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. And I know there's some weary and burdensome. I see the prayer requests, I see, there's plenty of us who are weary and burdened. And Jesus says, I will be the one who gives you rest. Take my yoke, take my ways is what that means. Take my ways upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And then one more, kind of with the last one, but a little different. You know, maybe you've tried to be proactive. You know, maybe you didn't use this kind of framework, but you've, you've tried to set some goals in your life and some things, and you had a vision for how you thought it was going to turn out. And maybe by your hand or someone else's, it is just frankly not the way you turned, hoped it to turn out. And so it's like you've been down this road, and you just have the energy or the disappointment. Um, for what you thought was going to be, didn't turn out. Well, let me remind you, um, and actually Solomon reminds us, as much as, to some extent, we can appreciate in our Western American go get i love I-love-to-set-goals-and-accomplish-things mindset that's a part of our DNA here, as good, as much as we can appreciate some of that, we have to be careful because there is a dark side to it. And frankly, again, Solomon reveals that dark side. Again, as we looked, he was the one who got it all. He accomplished it all. He went all the way up the ladder. And in the end, he said, chapter two, verse 11, when I surveyed all that my hands had done, all that I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind, nothing was gained under the sun. And so even for Solomon, who got it all, reminds us and recognizes uh, to us, that the only thing that matters is that 50,000 foot foot perspective, that God is the end game, that he is enough, not the goals and the things that we have in our lives. I love the way the Apostle Paul puts this, because he too experienced all of life's highs and lows. He said, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret, and here's the key word, of being content. He says, I've learned the secret of being content in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, and there's this famous verse that we all know. Philippians 4.13 is probably on your coffee mug this morning. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. And what that, word, what that literally means, so as you read this, it doesn't mean like you're going to get like superhuman Jesus powers all of a sudden. Uh, but really it's an ability, it's a contentment. It's that in all things, regardless of what we face, whether all our toil under the sun has led us to achievement or failure, uh, it doesn't matter because I am Able is what it means. I can do all things. I am able in all things, no matter how good or bad, by Christ. Through Christ, who is all that matters, it's my strength that strengthens me. The 50,000 foot level that is to be the most real level of our lives. I love the way the Amplified Bible puts this, which adds commentary to the verse. It says, I have strength for all things in Christ who empowers me who empowers me, that I am ready for anything and equal to anything through him who infuses inner strength into me. And thus, I am self-sufficient in Christ's sufficiency. And so it's not really self-sufficiency, it's really Christ's sufficiency that's within myself, that's of his strength. And so again, no matter how high, low, good, bad that you walked into this room today, may you be reminded that it really doesn't matter That the only thing that matters is our tethering to Jesus Christ at 50,000 foot perspective, no matter what comes our way at the lower horizons. And so with that, as we close our time, um, we just want to bless you with the words of a song that um, really speaks very poignantly to the sufficiency of Christ in all things, both in the lyrics that you're gonna hear, but really in its original inception, the writing, the authorship behind the song, and that the original version of the song that we are about to sing, or excuse me, that really, we're not gonna invite you to sing that much. We just want you to hear and and be blessed by it. Uh, But in the original writing, it was by a guy by the name of Horatio Spafford, a guy from the mid-1800s who actually was a prominent lawyer right here in Illinois. uh, was uh, actually going to take a vacation with his family uh, over to England where they wanted to see D.L. Moody, Dwight Moody, uh, preach on an evangelism tour. And so they were getting ready to go to England, and um, Horatio got caught up with some uh, some business here at in Illinois. And so he sent his family on ahead with the plans that he was going to catch another ship and join them a few days later. Well, unfortunately, what happened instead was as his family ship was crossing the ocean, um, there was a collision with another ship. And his wife and uh, his children, um, the the ship went down, his wife Anna survived, uh, but his four daughters uh, drowned in that accident. And so with obviously the weight of the world on his shoulders, he boarded a ship uh, to go not on a vacation, but to meet his grieving wife in England. And as he was voyaging across, um, the story goes that uh, the captain of the ship let Horatio know about the space and area where that ship uh, had supposedly went down. And uh, it was at that spot, in that great point of despair, that Horatio Spafford penned words of hope that we have been singing for generations uh, as hope for us as a church. And you might recognize some of those lines. He said, when peace like a river attendeth my way or when sorrows like sea billows roll. He said, whatever my lot, even so, it is well, it is well with my soul. And the only way that would be possible is with a 50,000 foot reality of God's sufficiency and enoughness in the midst of that great tragedy. And so again, for you, wherever you find yourself, for better or for worse, in your life's horizons, may you be tethered to that 50,000-foot reality of Jesus Christ's strength and sufficiency that is enough for whatever you face. And so through it all, may it be um, true with you, and may these words of this song be a blessing to you as a result.